Good morning, everyone. Uh, This morning is our last of three sermons on the prophet Joel. Uh, Let me pray for us before we begin. Heavenly Father, you are so good to reveal yourself to us in the person of Jesus Christ and that we know him through the Spirit. We do pray that we would listen carefully this morning, that you prepare our hearts to receive your word. For his sake. Amen. The God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath, a God of judgment, a God of vengeance. Why would you believe in him? Have you ever heard that? I have a number of times. I mean, the first time I heard it when I was at high school. The teacher said, well, the God of the Old Testament is God of anger and wrath. God of the New Testament is one of love. I like the God of the New Testament. I knew there was something wrong there, but uh, I didn't know what to say, or probably I didn't have the courage to speak up. But isn't that exactly what Joel is saying? Joel, a prophet in the Old Testament, what does he say God is like? You see, in Joel chapter 3, let's be frank, it's all about Judgment Day. It's all about God coming to judge all the nations of the world. And Joel says it will be awful. You see, he pictures God's army coming. And in verse 13, they're going to swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes for the winepress is full and the vats overflow, so great is their wickedness. And he says down in verse 16, The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble. See, Joel is convinced that God will come to judge the nations for their wickedness and no one's going to escape that judgment day. But for him, it wasn't something he was embarrassed about. It wasn't a kind of inconvenient truth he kept quiet about. He seems even to speak about it as if God's judgment was a good thing, as if it was an attractive prospect. Is this right? Can we really feel this way about God's judgment? Not only that it's true, but that it's good. I mean, do we really have to believe in it like this? I mean, most Christians realise that we do have to take the Old Testament seriously. We know that Jesus taught that the Old Testament is the very words of God. And so this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. We've we've got to reckon with it. And yet we, we do feel embarrassed about speaking about God's judgment. I mean, how how can we really live believing this? Well, let's uh, recap what Joel's taught us so far. You see, all this again has got to do with the day of the Lord. God will come to judge the world on the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord's been a roller coaster ride in Joel. Remember, he lived in Israel hundreds of years before Christ, and it was a time of crisis. A plague of locusts was coming. And he warned that this disaster was going to bring an even bigger disaster afterwards, the day of the Lord, where God would come and judge Israel for their sin. And so he urged people to repent. Their only hope was to turn to God, because God is compassionate and slow to anger. And the turning point in the book is when God does have compassion on his people. And so things flip around, and all of a sudden the day of the Lord becomes one of blessing, of salvation for those that call on the Lord, 
of God pouring out his spirit on all his people. That was chapter 2. But in chapter 3, we return to the theme of judgment because God hasn't abandoned justice. But his justice now is not aimed at Israel. It's now aimed at the nations around Israel. And the first thing to say is, yes, well, we, we do have good reason to feel awkward about judgment because it is a shocking reality. You see, the vision that Joel has is of God gathering all the nations of the world into a valley. Verse 2, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat means literally God judges. He hasn't gathered them for a conference. He's gathered them to meet out his justice on the day of the Lord. And there's no way to sugarcoat this, friends. It will be awful for those on the wrong side of God's justice. And, you know, I find this very hard to speak about. You know, people I love are heading for that day and they're on the wrong side of God's justice because they're still resisting Jesus Christ. And Joel says, this justice will be for all nations of the world. Doesn't matter their language, their background, their religion, they'll all be there on that day. And he pictures it as the last battle of human history. And he he uses language to to shock us, to grab our attention. Proclaim, he says in verse 9, proclaim this among the nations, prepare for war, rouse the warriors, let all the fighting men draw near and attack. See, God calls the nations of the world to this battle. And it's no surprise that all the nations are going to respond to this. I mean, after all, what is human history about? Ever since Cain killed Abel, we humans have been no strangers to shedding blood. I mean, God made us to love him and to love each other, but we've made human history into something else. A history of injustice, of selfishness, of greed, and God will do something about it one day. And so as all the nations turn up to this valley on the last day, so will God and his army. And there'll be, no, there'll be no contest. God will judge. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble. Someone wrote about this passage. See, those that have shaped the human history of evil are to become eventually the victims of that same history. So we mustn't think that the years will roll on, that human progress will continue, that our technology will improve, our knowledge will improve, and so we'll rid ourselves of all the problems of the world, we'll rid ourselves of injustice and evil. I mean, technology is great, but what do we do with technology? We just use it to find new ways of doing evil, new ways of hurting each other, new ways of lying to each other. Now, human evil will continue until the day of the Lord, until God brings it to an end in the valley of judgment. So yes, God's judgment is a shocking reality. But also a reality that's good and comforting 
for those who know God. Because Joel tells us something else. Joel tells us that God's judgment will be just. You see, he's not a cruel God. He doesn't enjoy judging people. See, Isaiah calls it God's strange task. He's patient. He's slow to anger. He's holding this day back. But he's a just God who cares about what we do. And this judgment comes because of human wickedness. You see, the picture here is of um, a vat of wine representing all the human wickedness. And it's reached its point where it is full. So, reading um, a mystery novel called Original Sin by P.D. James. And these two detectives are investigating a murder, walking along to the next crime scene, and the, uh, the female detective, Kate, is discussing with her Jewish colleague, Daniel, religion and God. And Kate says to Daniel, I don't, I don't go in for all this emphasis on sin, suffering, judgment. If I had a God... I'd like him to be intelligent, cheerful, and amusing. Daniel said, I doubt whether you'd find him much comfort when they herded you into the gas chambers. You might prefer a God of vengeance. It's true, isn't it? Every scrap of injustice and evil ever committed, God will avenge it. And Joel says, That's good. God God is just. We matter to him. He cares about human beings. Uh, A friend of mine told me about how she became a Christian. And and she said at first she didn't want to believe in judgment because she she didn't want to believe in her own sin. You see, we, we instinctively only believe in judgment for the sins of others. I mean, society's a bit confused about this. They say to Christians, how can you believe in hell? That's so cruel and immoral. And yet when the person that's murdered the child is sentenced, people say, good, rot in hell. People want justice, but only for the kind of headline crimes, only for the really bad things that other people do. We do want hell for the kind of Hitlers and the Stalins of this world. But God's standard of righteousness is much higher than ours, isn't it? He's lived out that standard of righteousness for all to see in the person of Jesus Christ. And so I shouldn't compare myself to Hitler and Stalin and think, I'm okay. I need to compare myself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do I love my neighbour as myself as he did? Do I love God with everything that I have like the Lord Jesus did? You see, so often we can think of our our sin and the wrong things we do, just like dirt under our fingernails. You know, it's a bit unsightly. If we're going out, we might clean it out, out of the way. But for God, evil, sin, it's like dirt in your eye. He cannot tolerate it. God is holy. His justice will be perfect. The punishment will fit the crime. It won't exceed the crime, it'll it'll fit the crime. If it seems harsh to us, we've forgotten how terrible the sin is. And so we read here in in verse in in Joel, in verse seven, about nations who had sold Jews into slavery. 
Jewish boys and girls into slavery. And God says to these nations, I'm going to bring that back on your head. You will suffer the same things. The punishment will fit the crime. But what this also shows us is that God has a special concern for his people. He identifies with those he's made promises to and calls as his own. That's the focus here in Joel. He says in verse, in verse 2, There I will enter into judgment against them, the nations of the world. Why? Concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. For they have scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my boys and traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine that they might drink. God will not let these things go unpunished. During the week I, I read the, the heartbreaking but, but also inspiring story of a, a young girl in Pakistan called Shafia. Um, her brother was an inspirational Christian in, in the village. He, he stood up uh, particularly for, the, for the, girl, the Christian girls that were being harassed in that village. Uh, but one day some men came along, spiked his drink and shot him in the head. To get justice for this, the family had to sell most of their possessions to bribe officials to pursue this, this case. Uh, but the way things transpired is that someone else from the village ended up kidnapping Shafia and, and beating her and assaulting her. Eventually she escaped uh, a Christian organisation called Voice of the Martyrs that, that supports the persecuted church was able to help her. Because her family had to go basically into slave labour to pay off this debt just to get justice for their brother. Uh, heartbreaking because it, it just, it's not the only thing like that that happens in Pakistan. Not the only thing like that happens in many nations across the world where Christians suffer these kind of things. Uh, but also inspiring because of what Shafia said. She said at first she wanted to take, to take revenge on these people in the village that had done that to her and to her brother. And yet she said, God will do justice. In fact, she was even ready to forgive. I mean, could we do that? See, there is someone who believes in the judgment of God and also the love of God that she's willing to forgive. Uh, and just, it just reminds me I need to pray more for the persecuted church. Um, and during the week, I'll try and put up on our website links to organisations that help the persecuted church. Uh, and, and the most important way you can help them is to pray. It also shows us you know, we need to care about justice like God does. You know, we, we should, as a church, be con- concerned for the weak, to stand up for the oppressed. And Christians have always done this in, you know, in small ways around their community and in, in larger ways around the world. You know, we should be concerned that there is still slavery and slave trading in our world today. God, God has a concern for justice and a particular concern for his people. And this is a difficulty for many of us. How, is it unfair that God has this special concern for his people? Why is Joel talking about judgment for the nations and yet blessing for Israel? Is that unfair? Well, yes, it is unfair because it's God's mercy. That's mercy. It's not. God has chosen to save and bless some, and others he leaves to the consequences of their own sin. 
And what we need from God is mercy, not justice. Don't ask God to deal with your sin justly. Ask God for mercy and then give thanks for it. Be like the beggar as Jesus passed by, blind Bartimaeus, who cried out, Have mercy on me. Don't cry out to God, have justice on me. God is a God of justice, but he shows mercy to some. And all we can do is accept and thank him for it. So God's judgment will be just. There's comfort there. But there's even more comfort when we know who it is that does the judging. You see, when Jesus came, he didn't downplay God's judgment. In fact, he intensified it. You see, the great fire and brimstone preacher of the Bible is the Lord Jesus himself. And he said, actually, I will be the one that God uses to judge the world. Matthew 25, you've heard there's a parable of the sheep and the goats. You might hear the expression, the sheep and the goats, in various places around, um, but it actually comes from Jesus. And the parable he told where he said, look, all the nations of the world are going to be gathered before me and I will separate the sheep from the goat and some will go to eternal life and some will go to eternal punishment. Jesus wasn't embarrassed by God's judgment. He said, it will be me doing it. And yet he said this because he loves us. And he showed his love, didn't he? He died for us. You see, the most amazing, comforting thing about God's judgment is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because that also is a day of the Lord, isn't it? The day of the Lord is not just when Jesus returns, but it's also when Jesus died and rose again. Because at the cross, God took the judgment for the sin of the world, for all the evil, all the injustice, all the wrong things we've done. He took it onto himself so we can escape it. Jesus bore our sins. He turned aside the wrath of God. That is God's glory. Not to abandon justice and say, well, boys will be boys, that's okay. No, to maintain justice, but to pay the price for our sin at great cost to himself, enormous cost to himself, so we can be saved. And that's what Joel promised would happen. Joel promised the Lord would roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky would tremble. That's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. He took that judgment. The Lord will be a refuge for his people. As Joel says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a, what a comfort that is, that it is Jesus who will be the judge. The one who died for us. You see, without Jesus, we would just be like these rebellious nations that would be on the wrong side of God's justice. But if you belong to Christ, then you've been rescued from that. You've been moved. You've moved. God's shifted you from being his enemy to being his precious child. And yet, there's even more reason to welcome God's judgment. Because God judges to secure blessing for his people. 
See, God's judgment is not just about punishing the evil of the world. It's also about setting things right. You see, God's going to end this history of violence and injustice and lying and he's going to begin a history of peace and truth and justice. And the way Joel speaks about that is talking about this transformed Jerusalem that God's made holy. Jerusalem, where God's people will live, it'll be secure from its enemies. You see, he says in verse 17, Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. You notice why it will be secure? Because God himself is going to live there with his people. You see, it's natural for us to seek security for for ourselves, for our families, for our country. But as we try and find security, it's it's never really certain, is it? can never, never really last. Only when you live in God's city will you be really secure. But the enemies of God, well, their countries will be desert wastelands, Joel says. There's no future for God's enemies. But God's people will live secure forever. Of course, the gospel tells us that this actually is fulfilled in a new Jerusalem. You see, when Jesus returns and brings a new world, God's people will live in this new Jerusalem. And it's not just security, it's also life and abundance. So the way Joel pictures it is mountains dripping with new wine, hills flowing with milk, water flowing out from the temple in Jerusalem and bringing life. And the last book of the Bible... Revelation, it paints these same pictures but with even more colour because we see that there the church will feast with Jesus Christ. Life, life-giving water will flow out from this city. And the book of Revelation says there will be no more mourning or crying or pain, no more death for the old things have passed away. This is this wonderful future that Joel, that Joel tells us about. And we've seen glimpses of it. You see, the miracles of Jesus, the joy that he brought, they're they're like previews of this future. You see, he healed the sick. He fed the hungry crowds until they were full. He even raised the dead. Those things are little pictures for us of this future that Jesus will bring. So God will judge the world. The last judgment, but there will be lasting security and blessing for his people. That's this big future that Joel's talking about. What, what does it mean to be a person who believes this future? What does it mean to be a church that believes in the day of the Lord, that Jesus died to save us and is returning to judge? See, people attack God's judgment as an ugly thing. But in Jesus Christ, we see God's judgment as beautiful. Because it's just, because it comes with salvation, because it brings this secure, beautiful future. What does it mean to live now believing this future? Well, firstly, how can we be self-righteous? We can only really be humble. The only way we could be rescued from God's justice 
was by God's love, the death of Jesus for us. That was the only way. How, how can we not be thankful, joyful in that security of the love that we have in Jesus? Secondly, how can we be bitter or vengeful? Like Shafia, we must trust God to judge. We must even seek to forgive as God has forgiven us. You see, publicly, yes, we do seek justice. We do report crimes. We do support and pray for the governments and the courts because we believe God's given those to us to secure some justice in this world. But personally, when we're wronged, we don't seek vengeance. We leave that to God, trusting he will judge. It's hard. Shafia said in her story it took her a long time to forgive. But we know that God has forgiven us in Christ. And finally, we don't lose heart. We have hope and endurance. We endure hardship and suffering and injustice, knowing that God is with us still and that he's bringing us somewhere. He's bringing us to his city where we'll have security, where we'll have peace and blessing. See, God will judge the world. And we rejoice in his goodness to us. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you... We've heard serious, weighty things this morning about the judgment of the world, about salvation and security for your people. And we can only marvel at the amazing love that Christ should have died for us, to spare us, to bless us. Lord, help us to be people who care about justice, but people who don't seek vengeance for ourselves, but trust you to judge. Help us not to be self-righteous, but to be humble. Help us not to be people that lose heart in the face of injustice and suffering, but people of hope and endurance, knowing this, the wonderful things that you've prepared for us. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.